and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of one of the largest and oldest wrestling families on the planet. The Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Through 93 years and four generations. The Stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee Stud. The Tennessee Stud. You will learn that name. You will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Please welcome the creator of the popular 605 podcast and the president of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, your co-host, the great Ryan Last. Hello again, friends, and welcome to another edition of Ron Fuller's Studcast. I'm the great Brian Last. I'm happy to be with you once again as the Tennessee Stud takes us down the road through wrestling history, telling us about his personal history as well as the history of every promotion he touched. And without any further ado, let's go to the man of the hour, the host of the Studcast, the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Ron, you kind of teased us at the end of last week's episode that we're going to stay in Florida, obviously, but Robert's coming back. Yeah, uh, and uh, I'm really glad to see him, obviously. Uh, you know, uh, he's been, I uh, haven't seen him in seven months at this point. Uh, we had been wrestling uh, pretty much every night together in Georgia before I come to Florida. And uh, now I'm in single matches, primarily single matches for, for basically seven months. And and Rob leaves Tennessee, where he's at in Nashville, and decides he wants to come to Florida. Uh, they find a spot for him. I guess they decide to put us into tag matches, and and he shows up. Uh, which you know, uh, yeah, I guess uh, been uh, it's been a lot of time with my brother uh, during the course of my last training before I started wrestling pro, and we trained together and. It got very close, and uh, being apart for seven months is kind of a. I was kind of glad to see him. Kind of glad he came, and and it changes a lot of things for me. Uh, I've got a lot of. I've had a lot of matches with uh, Garvin and Goulet and and guys like that. Uh, worked some angles, been into some programs here at this point, which is very good for a guy that's only six months in. And right at this point, we're about a year in at this point. Uh, so when Rob arrives, uh, we we wrestle in the he's he's only there for forty seven days. I'll explain just a little later how that happens that he leaves so quickly. But in that forty seven days, I worked forty five times in forty seven days. Uh, Thirty three of those are tag matches. Uh, five of them are six man tags, and I have seven single matches. Pretty grinding grinding a group of work for a young guy that's just getting his 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 legs basically in in the sport and trying to learn how to how to take care of himself and keep from getting hurt and being involved and and making these long trips uh in the florida territory back in those days it's a pretty pretty tough grind but the great thing about it is is i am developing i am really learning fast and 
And I have had a lot of people ask me, Brian, what do I, what, what reason would I, do I think that wrestling as it is today and wrestlers as they are today aren't as prepared and maybe aren't as good as the guys were back in those days. And, and there's one reason that just sticks out in my mind. And it's that thing I just said, I wrestled 45 times in 47 days. Nowadays, if, and the only big time wrestling there is basically, or pretty much the only ones is WWE. And, and you don't wrestle 45 times in 47 days. You can't wrestle that much. They don't run that many events. So what you need is a young guy. And in your first year and in your first few years in the business, you need that experience. And experience is hours in the ring. It's kind of like being a pilot. Uh, you know, you can't be somewhat. You can't make it to being a pilot without having hours that you can prove that you've been in a plane and you've had that experience of flying for a significant number of hours. And it's the same thing with being a wrestler. You can't be a great wrestler if you don't have the experience and you haven't had the time in the ring. So I'm getting this great benefit here of time in the ring. They're using me a lot and they're using me extremely well for a guy that's only been a year in the business. So Rob and I, we, we, we tear into this, this, this tag team wrestling again. It's kind of nice to be back together. Um, we actually win every one of the 33 single tags that we have. We win, uh, I, we, I think we win probably every one. Now we may have lost one or two. I don't have all of the, all of the, uh, exact results, but predominantly we're a very, very strong team together. Uh, we're working with a lot of different people. You know, what? the reason we're winning, I think, is because uh, we've been wrestling for a year now. Obviously, that's given us quite a bit of experience. He's wrestling in Tennessee every night, just like I'm wrestling in Florida every night. Uh, we've greatly improved. Our, our, we're significantly learning how to work, and we're, we're learning how to how to how to get ourselves over and, and how to make interviews and how to do the things that, that it takes to make a great wrestler. And I think it's easier for brothers in a tag. You know, it just seems to be easier uh, when you grow up with somebody uh, to, to work, work better with them. You love your brother. You were very close with your brother. However, does any part of you say, Oh man, why now? I'm getting a good singles run. I'm getting good main events in some of the smaller towns. I've got some bigger opportunities in front of me. The last thing I want is to be in tag matches for the next several weeks. Any part of you at all that thinks that? Well, maybe a little bit, but you know, it. I, I'm thinking it's, it's a good deal for Rob. I mean, he obviously is wanting to get out of Tennessee for whatever reason at this point, and I, I think he had been doing well there. I don't know what his reason was for it. But if 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 he can come and be around me and and I can help him by by doing tag matches, uh, then you know I, I'm all for it. Uh, you know I kind of left that other part, that other thinking that you're described off to the side. I, I have those thoughts in mind that hey, my my thing's cranked here a little bit, and I'm I'm moving forward. Uh, but I didn't feel like it was going to drag me down. I guess and. Uh, even if it did drag me down and pull me back for a little bit, I felt like that 
I was uh, I was working with my brother. I was doing something to help him uh, have steady steady work, and uh, I was more than happy to do that. And uh, I figured that you know I'm going to learn something even with these tag matches. It's been quite a while since I've had many tags, so I'm really uh, kind of a little bit enthusiastic about getting these tag matches going a little bit, and especially when I got robbed there. Uh, it just it works out really really well for us. Uh, and you know when you when you're brothers and you've trained together, there's something that makes great tag teams. And and you know it's it a lot of times it's it is brother combinations. You got Jack and Gerald Briscoe, and you've got the the Steiners, and you've got all these brother combinations. Uh, the Terry and Junior, and uh, you know uh, just great combinations of brothers that do really well in tag matches. And I think a lot of that has to do with their training. They've obviously trained together a lot. In Rob and I's case, we trained together for two years, just about, uh, pretty darn heavily, uh, learning how to wrestle. But uh, then when you when your training is, is very similar, you have a great knowledge of the other person's ability. Uh, I got to see Rob train. I worked with him. You you don't have anybody to work with, so we work against each other having matches. Uh, Corsica Jean uh, trained us. Uh, great worker and a super guy. And he, we work with him, but uh, then we work with each other. But you don't have that opportunity to work as a tag because you don't have two other guys that's in that that building with you that's got that ring there. But you get to where you know exactly what what Rob, I get to know what Rob is really capable of. I know where his strong points are, and I know where his weak points are. And when you have that combination as a tag team, uh, you know where you need to pick up. You know when you need to be the ring in the ring and when he doesn't need to be in the ring. And those little things like that make such a difference in being a good tag team and being a winning tag team for darn sure. And always, we always tried to give 100%. Uh, we come from a wrestling background, uh, father and grandfather and all the relatives that, that we have in the sport ahead of us and those that are going to come behind us. And we just, you know, you get that training just naturally from your dad and from watching matches of your dad and, and my grandfather when I was very young and, and, and remembering those guys and remembering how hard they worked in the ring. So that, you know, and some guys seem to have a feeling when they're young and they've got a big body and that they, they don't really have to put out. They don't really have to extend themselves. They don't really want to blow themselves up. They don't give it that 100%. And when you don't do that, it, it sets a bad pattern for the future. And uh, not only that, it, it, you're not going to get there. You're not going to get over as well if, if you're not just up there absolutely driving to leave everything in that ring, not to come out there when the bell rings. Well, without having to spend 10 minutes in the back trying to catch your breath. I used to do that a lot. And uh, I always uh, thought that that had something to do with the fact that at a year in, I was beginning to develop as quickly as I was. How much had Rob improved since the last time you saw him, which was before you guys went your separate ways after Atlanta? Yeah, significantly. He was 20 pounds heavier. He'd been hitting the weights. 
Uh, and if you see pictures of Rob when uh, in this early time frame, when he and I are both young, Rob's a pretty thin guy. He's, he's, he needed that weight. So he comes 20 pounds heavier. He comes significantly better worker in the ring. Uh, his advantage over me is that he's in a territory that's full of tag teams. Uh, you had the Greens, and you had the Fargos, and you had Jarrett and Tojo, and did this, the Von Bronners, and it it just went on. The Ron Wright and Don Wright, that was that Tennessee area was a predominantly tag team territory, and he's getting to work uh, with a lot with Tojo, Tojo Yamamoto, uh, one of the greatest Japanese. Talk about a little dude that could get some heat. Tojo Yamamoto could drive people crazy. And Rob and he end up being a tag, and uh, Rob was doing great. They were doing big business in Tennessee, and he was learning a whole lot. I was really surprised and uh, pretty well amazed at how much he had improved. And I have a feeling he probably saw the same thing in me, that I had improved a whole lot too. Uh, and I don't know how much of that has to do with coming from a wrestling family, I think it's 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 all psychological. It's it's you 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 realize that you're a part of a big family of successful wrestlers, and you just want to you want to be as good as the rest of them, and if not better, you know. And I always strive to try to be the best Welch that ever wrestled, you know. And I, and I'm sure Rob's out there doing the same thing. And you got Jimmy, who's part of this family, Jimmy Golden, and he's out there doing the same thing. Always a hundred percent guy, Jimmy. I mean, uh, it's like uh, our family just because you're part of this this legacy of of wrestlers. Uh, you just I felt an obligation. To, to be as good as I could possibly be. I owed it to my family, I felt like. So you and Rob team up for the better part of two months. Who do you guys go against? Who are some of your opponents? We wrestle a lot of different guys. Uh, they're starting to bring a little talent in there. Uh, they're bringing different people at this point. Uh, and, and I think they're adding a little bit to the crew. Uh, they bring in Dale Lewis. Uh, Dale Lewis has a phenomenal wrestling history. Uh, and he is a type of guy that the Florida territory wants. He's got that amateur background. Uh, he went to Oklahoma, uh, and he wasn't just a wrestler at Oklahoma. He was a fantastic wrestler at Oklahoma. And there happens to be another Oklahoma wrestler that's right there in the Florida territory at the same time, Jack Briscoe, who's got just... You know, so what I saw and what it, it affected me and what I'm going to do in the future, as far as the territory is concerned, by seeing what they were trying to develop in Florida. Instead of going out and, and, and finding guys that they had to train, that had no athletic, very little athletic background, uh, certainly didn't have much really legitimate athletic background. Uh, Dale Lewis is is a great wrestler at Oklahoma. He goes on to be the Greco-Roman wrestler in the 1950 and 1960 Olympics for the USA. I mean, he's he's just he's a he's a hoss man, and he and wrestling against a guy like Dale is a real experience. It's a great experience. It's kind of like I'm I'm back in the snake pit again when you're in there with him because he has so so many good moves and. 
his mindset is totally different than, let's say, Bob Roop as an example. Bob in the snake pit was willing to, to take it to whatever limit needed to be done. Dale had a soft heart, and he, he didn't – he didn't want to hurt people, uh, he, but he had that ability, and, and if he ever needed it, he'd, he'd, you could feel it. It was there when he wanted to show you it was there, and you had great respect for him. I, I really respected Dale Lewis. I'm going to use Dale a considerable amount in my first wrestling promotion in 1974 in Knoxville. He's going to be one of the first people I bring into my territory uh, simply because I want this Florida atmosphere. I want this a territory that is filled with legitimate wrestlers, some guys that have uh, legitimate backgrounds, that have amateur backgrounds, that wrestle, that predominantly wrestle. They go in the ring and can give you a great wrestling match, and they don't have to have a lot of blood, and you don't have to have the, the big fights and the, and the heavy angles. Uh, people really enjoy that wrestling. That they, uh, that's the name of the game. It's wrestling, and, and they want to come and see you wrestle. They don't want to see uh, the brawl all the time. They want to see a great wrestling match. I used to like to do the same thing that Florida is doing at this same point, is they're taking baby faces and putting baby faces against baby faces. You never see that anymore. You didn't see that in hardly any territories back in the day. But I remember wrestling Tim Woods, Mr. Wrestling Number 1. Uh, I wrestle guys like Dale Lewis. Uh, you wrestle Roop. Uh, you wrestle against Jack Briscoe. Uh, you wrestle against... But great workers and the matches were fabulous. I remember having great matches, uh, uh, two, less than two years in the business with Tim Woods, uh, fabulous matches. And, and they, the fans were educated to that and that's what they wanted to see. And in my opinion, they were seeing the very best the product had to offer. I worked with a great Malenko who is, he's a, he's a, He's a legend already in Florida. At this point, him and Eddie Graham have gone through these programs for years and just drove crowds crazy. I mean, had f just phenomenal matches. Uh, so you got Malenko and you've got Dick Murdoch. Dick Murdoch's a fabulous talent. Uh, he worked a lot. When he worked with Tags, he worked uh, at this point in the Florida Territory with Dusty. But he worked a lot of single matches, and Dusty did as well. And uh, being able to work with Dick Murdoch was always a pleasure for me. I just really liked his style of work. He's, he's pretty stiff. He's, he's, everything he does looks good, and uh, sometimes it don't feel too good. And, and that didn't bother me much because I knew that when guys were working with me, they were leaving the ring saying the same thing, you know, like, hey, you know, that, that kind of hurt a little bit. Well, you know, that's part of it, man. If you're not prepared to give that or to take it either, then you're not going to be able to make a, to be a great wrestler. Uh, Ed Rene Goulet, who is still there. Uh, he is, he's a French Canadian out of Montreal and he's been there for a while. Uh, but he's in some of these tag matches, but Ronnie Garvin is in 19 of these 33 tag matches. Uh, so Ronnie Garvin is still married to me, kind of in a way. What we've done here and the way I think that they, they see this possibility as working, 
to the advantage of the territory is Ronnie and I have been in a long program, and this kind of extends the program by now Ronnie saying, I'm going to get myself a partner, and I'm going to beat both of them Fuller boys. And uh, so they they really push that well. They they build that well, and we are, we're not on top. Well, we're not on top at this point, but we're in a significant match. We've worked our way halfway up the card in most cases. And when you're in the ring with, say, Ronnie and Dick Murdoch or Ronnie and uh, the original grappler Denton or Ronnie and Malenko, or, you know, uh, that any of those combinations make for a, a great match. And it makes for a a, uh, a very, very entertaining night for the fans. And uh, so it keeps Ronnie involved with, with me in a way. And uh, when Rob leaves and, and goes... We're we're going to be in a we're going to be right back there again in that single competition. You mentioned earlier that Rob's only there a relative short period of time. Why is that? Well, I tell you what, uh, we work all these tag matches, but we're still working working angles in in Fort Myers and some of the small towns, and and uh, Rob gets himself into a position to where he, he they start booking him with Ronnie in Fort Myers, they take us and split us apart. And, uh, Ronnie now works with Rob. And, uh, so Rob and Ronnie work a loser leave town match in Fort Myers on a Tuesday night and Rob loses. And I guess that they're probably ready for him to go. Uh, or maybe he's ready to go. I mean, you know, uh, Rob, Rob doesn't, Rob's not crazy about the style of wrestling in Florida. He's, he, he really loves what they're doing in Tennessee and they're doing a lot of different things in Tennessee than what Florida territory is doing at this point. And he's not too happy with the, he don't like working with Dale Lewis and he ain't crazy about working with Dick Murdoch and he doesn't care much for working with Ronnie Garvin. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's like there's a, so he's kind of ready to go. He loses this loser leave town. The next night, my dad and, and Rob and I wrestled a six man tag in Miami, uh, against the Japanese guys, the Koma, Oda and Okuma. And, uh, that's Rob's last night. Uh, he loses on a loser leave on a Tuesday. He's booked in Miami. He works to Miami and he's gone the day after that. I think he goes back to Tennessee, uh, because he's, he's, he, I think he misses it. I think he misses some of the guys up there and he misses that style of wrestling. That's crazy. But, uh, I think that's exactly what the deal is. Well, some people rather be hit with a chair than slapped by Ronnie Garvin. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes when you get slapped by Ronnie Garvin, it's like getting hit with a chair. <laughs> it was almost the same thing, you know? And, uh, I kind of, you know, that stuff never bothered me as much as Rob. Rob, Rob and I were a little bit different in our, our thinking about how to wrestle. Uh, Rob wanted to wrestle in a style in which guys liked to wrestle with him and they did not, uh, they, they were happy to have, have, see themselves booked. They get to the town that night and they say, who am I wrestling tonight? And, and they go, uh, in my case or Rob's case, they go Rob and they're, you know, a big smile on their face. And if you say Ron, it's like, Oh gosh, geez, you know I mean? So, <laughs> so get know. ready for the wraparound. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. You know I mean? Uh, we're, we're a little bit different styles and, and we uh, like to, to wrestle in a different way. 
Uh, and, and, uh, but we made great team. I guess the point here is that we have a lot of matches in a short period of time, uh, 45 matches in 45 days. That's a, that's a pretty darn decent grind. And that's pretty much what I'm doing on a steady basis. And, uh, we went almost all of them. We do great out there, I think. And it's going to lead down the road within the next year. Uh, we're going to team up again. We're going to end up back. Rob will end up that back there again. And we will next time win for the first time, the Florida championship tag team championship. And, uh, it, we're, we're going to, we're going to develop into, this is the start of it. I think the bookers watched our matches and, uh, they say, well, and the, maybe, maybe they're not ready yet, but, uh, this, this could be a big money-making team at some point. And we get that shot a little bit later down the road. We will return to Florida minus Robert in just one moment. After this word about the latest super stud cast, super stud cast number six, Japan, 1983. Studcast fans, this month's Super Studcast takes you on a fantastic journey to the land of the rising sun, Japan in 1983. The stud will team with a great young wrestler, Barry Windham, who is also a member of a legendary wrestling family and son of Black Jack Mulligan. They'll participate in the annual All Japan Pro Wrestling Tag Team Tournament that lasts for three weeks and visit numerous cities across Japan. They'll compete against teams from all over the world in the most prestigious tag tournament on earth, the Stud has plenty of phenomenal stories about not only the movie star popular wrestlers, but the people and the country itself. Here's a short list of the participants. The only brothers that ever held the NWA Heavyweight Championship, Dory Funk Jr. and Terry Funk. They'll rock the ring, but also entertain the Japanese people daily with crazy annex as no two have ever done before. Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen at 6 feet 6 inches each and over 300 pounds as well, they'll cause hysteria not only in the ring, but in the crowds, the two greatest Mexican wrestlers of all time, brothers Dos and Neil Mascaros, fly higher than the Japanese Air Force. Seven feet two inch giant Baba wrestles in the tournament as well as a single match against the stud. Several tremendous Japanese teams join the action, as well as world champion Ric Flair at the end of the tour. This is what Super Stud Cast are all about, and the stud is thrilled to describe the action and fly you into wrestling history. There you hear it, Super Studcast number three, available at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast only, $2.99. I have to say, Ron, I had such a ball recording that episode with you, and I knew a little bit about your story there. I ended up learning so much more about it, and as someone who's a fan of Japanese wrestling, especially from that period of time, it really was fun hearing your story of being on tour for your one and only time with All Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, I mean, great experience. Uh, I would take nothing for it. Uh, you know, people say, uh, a lot of people say, I'd never go to Japan. Uh, and I'd, I kind of look forward to the opportunity of someday getting invited. And I was lucky enough to be invited to be in that big tag team tournament. And they they give me a great partner, uh, Barry Windham. And that that that's that three weeks is is just phenomenal and i and i i hope i related it well and i think the fans will have an opportunity to get a feel for what it's like to wrestle in a foreign country and uh, not just to deal with the wrestlers and the matches but to deal with the the people and the culture and 
you know, I try to cover a lot of different stuff and, you know, I really, I really enjoyed it. I loved that, the, uh, the recording that I loved it. It was really, really a lot of fun for me as well. Once again, you can get that at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast only two ninety nine. More info about that at the end of the program. But now, you know, at the top of the show, Ron, I mentioned how you teased Robert being back in Florida last time, and that's where we started. Another thing you didn't really tease, you kind of started talking about, was you beginning your time as a promoter in West Palm Beach. So let's go back to that story. Let's pick it up from where we left off last time. Okay. Yeah. Now, now I start out, and, and I think I got as far along as we had the first event. And the first event, uh, the biggest crowd they had ever drawn there was about $3,500 or somewhere in that range. And the first night, we opened up with me helping being the promoter and doing doing the legwork and all the television interviews and the radio interviews and things that need to be done to make something a success. Uh, we open up with a $10,000 house. Uh, it blows their minds in the Florida office, and, and it blows the boys' minds. Uh, they they come down there expecting that $3,000, $3,500 crowd, and they see uh, the three times that. And they're like, wow, man, this is unbelievable. This town's never been this good. So, you know, I'm pretty proud of it. Uh, so during this, about this six-week period we're talking about here, where Rob is in there, West Palm is running every Monday night, and and it's getting bigger. Every crowd, a lot of times when you run your uh, town and uh, you open a town and you get that big crowd the first night, uh, it's going to drop off no matter what you do. But I kept really, really pushing on the advertising part of it, and and luckily it, it never dropped below 10,000. I don't think it ever dropped below 10,000 the entire time I lived there and promoted that town for them. Uh, and it, within that first six weeks, we hit, we're up to as high as 12,000 and 12,000 plus dollars. This is the dollar crowd. You know, this probably equates to, I'm going to say, uh, probably, uh, 5,000 people maybe in a, in a seven or 8,000 seat arena. Uh, it's a pretty decent crowd. Uh, biggest by far that they, they had ever seen in West Palm by West Palm standards. So, uh, it's, things are going well, things are going really well for, for me. I'm, uh, I'm getting a little percentage out of this. I've cut a good deal with Eddie and my dad and uh, that they're paying me more money than they want to pay me at this point. They're they're probably going. To, how the heck did he draw that kind of money there? And you know, maybe we didn't do such a good deal for ourselves. But uh, the deal is what the deal is, and I'm getting that pay, which is an extra pay. I'm beginning to learn how to promote, which is really important to me because I that's what I want. My future, I think, at this point is what I want to do is I want to not only be a wrestler, I want to be a promoter, I want to learn to book, and I want to own my own company. And I want to run my own thing like like Eddie and Dad are doing in in Florida at this point. So uh, it, it works out perfect for me. It's a good spot for me to be in. I'm really learning more than just wrestling now. I'm learning how to promote a little bit now and how to handle advertising and how to put business together. And they, I think what they, happens here to them, Brian, is they encounter for the first time what could be a problem for them. They decide to run West Palm on a Monday night 
And they have another town that's been running on Mondays for many, many years. These are now they've run two towns that they run Fort Myers and they run Tampa. They run Miami and they run Melbourne. Uh, they run uh, Fort Lauderdale and they run Tallahassee, but never have they run two major cities on the same night. And that could have been a problem for them. The promoter in Orlando is Milo Steinborn. Milo Steinborn is a just a, he's a fascinating character in, in all of wrestling and, and, and in all of history in, in some ways. Milo Steinborn was born in Germany in 1890s. Uh, he was in World War II as a German, uh, captured by the British, uh, sent back to England, and spent his time in prison in England lifting weights he he becomes a bona fide strongman one of the strongest men in the world milo steinborn was one of the strongest men in the world he comes to america two weeks after going after being released after the war world war one uh within two years he comes to america he comes to america and he has his own strongman show it's a one-man show and he does some things in this show that just is astounding to me. Uh, I've seen pictures of, of some of the things that he does. One of the things he does is they put an 880-pound elephant, stands on, on two of those, like you see in the circus, where they stand on those big stands. The front feet are on one and the back feet are on another. And Milo gets underneath that elephant and lifts that elephant off the platform. It's like, and they have a bunch of people around that catch the elephant to keep it from falling. But he, he you know, elephants are pretty darn sturdy animals and they're not accustomed to being lifted. And Milo gets underneath the stomach of that elephant and, and pushes with his shoulders uh, strong enough and hard enough that he lifts all four of that elephant's feet off the platform. That, gosh, that to me is just a... Uh, he does another feat in his strongman show called the car bridge. They bring out a little metal bridge, and they basically make a bridge that's about 30 feet long. Uh, it goes up uh, to about a three- or four-foot level, and then it, it runs straight for about 20 feet, and then it has a little downward slope where you drive off of it. So they take a 5,000-pound car, and they set up this bridge, and they put a steel structure under one side to hold it up, and Milo gets on his back on the ground and puts his feet under the platform on the far side of the bridge. Uh, so the, they drive the car then from, from opposite end where Milo is up on the metal portion of it. And they drive across the bridge and come off with Milo holding that 5,000 car pound car with his legs. Uh, it looked so dangerous to me, the picture, because I could imagine if, if his legs collapse, that car is going to kill him. He's going, he's going to die right there. So. I was just extremely impressed with the little bit of things that I knew about Milo. And, and he's Milo was a master and the inventor of the flat-footed squat. This is an amazing fact in itself. Back in the day, in the 1900s, I mean the 1800s, 
they would do squats and they like to do them on their tiptoes, which kept you from being able to do nearly as much weight as weight. And Milo developed the flat footed squat. He was the first person to ever do flat footed squats. He was able to flat footed squat 550 pounds. And, uh, he had without wraps on his knees, uh, without any assistance of any kind, uh, World record for many, many, many years. It was a world squat record. And uh, so Milo is a, and he's a tremendous character. At this point, I've wrestled in Orlando for him for seven months. Uh, And I also wrestled in his little small town. He ran on Wednesdays, Melbourne, for that same period of time. I wasn't ever getting to go to Miami. I I got sent to the little small town of Melbourne. But Milo liked me, and he put me on top. He won. He saw something in me at really at a young age, and he treated me so good. He's seventy five years old at this point. Uh, first time I shook hands with him, I honestly got scared. I his grip was so awesome it was it reminded me of danny hodge you when you shake hodge's hand it's like you don't you don't even want to squeeze him because you don't want to get in this in a strength battle with him and you sure didn't want to get into a strength battle with milo he just had this power there that you could tell was there so they've got now a situation to where I've got, I've got a town I'm running on Monday nights, and Milo has his town. Now, Milo's been there for a long time. Orlando is his town. I think he has a relationship with the Florida office in which he pays a booking fee to the Florida office, and they provide him the talent, and they come in, send their booker over and, to handle business. And Milo's been doing great business for years. Uh, I'm just, you know... I. I just, uh, I, I'm wondering when I realize that, you know, they're going to put me running the town the same night as Milo, you know, I'm curious about how it's going to work. How do you think Milo's going to feel about that? How did Milo feel about that? Well, I was concerned, you know, I mean, uh, you know, and, and Milo's got a son, Dick Steinborn, great wrestler. One of the best ever is going to wrestle for me. He's another guy. It's going to wrestle for me in Southeastern and Knoxville. Uh, and Milo and Dickie have just been fabulous to me. They've just been great to me. And I, I was hopeful that, you know, they, that they understood that it, this wasn't my choice. I'm not in, in charge of the territory. And I don't decide what night they're going to run West Palm. Uh, I'm just lucky to be involved and being a promoter there and having the opportunity to learn something and, and handle that business for them. Uh, so I don't, I would have preferred maybe not to be booked in, uh, against Milo because I really like Milo. So it it's made and but I've been working his town, his his town on Melbourne on, on top, and and he's been doing bigger business than he maybe ever did in Melbourne. I don't know. I'd never been there before, and I don't know how good they were before. But I do know that when I first started going to Melbourne, same as in Fort Myers, the crowds were small. Uh, they weren't big. They weren't selling out. And uh, when I came, the, the time I spent there in both those two cities working on top and working angles, they were selling out. Those suckers were doing big business. So I think it just, it just, uh, maybe that, that helped me a little bit because I had made them money in Melbourne 
And and the fact that Milo did like me, I could tell Milo had had good feelings for me, and I certainly did for him. I've respected him very much, and Dickie as well. And uh, I think it probably helped to kind of smooth that over a little bit. In June, West Palm got an NWA title match. They got Dory Funk Jr. against Jose Lothario with Leo Garibaldi as a special referee. Do you remember that night? What was that night like? And was it any sort of political issue that you were getting a title match in West Palm versus Orlando? No, you know, and I hadn't even thought about that until you brought that up. You know, uh, later on, I'm going to get my first title shot, I think, there uh, with Dory. But uh, I'm not at that point yet. I'm not that good yet. Uh, But, uh, you know, obviously... World champions mean something special to fans. And and every time you have a world champion, I'm assuming that that probably was the $12,000 house with uh, that type of match. Uh, Jose was very, very much over there in Florida at that point. Uh, Garibaldi is not only top referee, he's, he's actually one of the bookers. So there's, there's, there's a group of guys. You got great talent in that ring right there. Leo Garibaldi is as sharp as anybody about wrestling, and he's done it with his dad. And uh, he's a second generation, and he's been a booker uh, around the country, and he's got all this experience. And when he's in that ring as a referee back in those days, he's like another wrestler in that ring. He sometimes would lead the match and call the spots. He was so good at it, and he. And I always loved having that opportunity. When Leo was refereeing my match, I knew I was going to learn something that night. He's just a great, great worker and a great referee, great booker, smart mind as far as wrestling is concerned. Uh, I know they had a great match that night. Uh, Undoubtedly, I don't remember the actual match, but I know Lothario, uh, having lived with him as a teenager in in, – Tucson, Arizona, he actually lived in our house uh, for months that we lived there. Just got to be really, really close with Jose. And uh, great talent. And Dory Jr., gosh, in in my estimation of world champions, I think he was maybe one of the greatest wrestling world champions that we ever had. He he did not like to punch, and he did not like to go to the brawl route. He, He liked to keep it confined to wrestling some of the greatest matches i ever saw in my life uh was jack briscoe and dory funk jr just absolutely awesome matches they do those hours and you would see more wrestling in that hour and they would take those fans in other parts of the country people might not have gotten with it like they did in florida but the florida was so acclimated to wrestling a lot of wrestling the fans just loved it i mean i never failed to see those guys uh, sell out they were doing really really bigness really really big business so let's go back to this though milo steinborn has been a popular local promoter in orlando for a long period of time and now here you are opening up a brand new town you're the promoter what does the office do how does the booker handle this in terms of how to divide the talent 
that's a really good question. I mean, he's got to make a decision here. It's, it's, uh, they've added one town to the territory, but because they, they put this town on the same night as another major town, they've got to add talent. And they're just about in a position where they got to add some talent. I think that's maybe why Rob comes in. Is because that's in this same time frame, just about the time West Palm is cranking up. Uh, Rob comes in, Dale Lewis comes in. Uh, they start using Eddie, Eddie Moore. Eddie had been back, back he would been pushed back, and uh, did not work very much anymore. All of a sudden, you see Eddie on cards again. They use my dad some on quite a few cards. So they're adjusting to this. Uh, they're, somebody there has made that decision. They're adjusting to it, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's going to work. It looks like it's going to work. What happens is I believe is Orlando was always a great Monday night town, but we are going to surpass it. We are going to, to be bigger than Orlando on Mondays. We start out pretty much from the very first night, and as this thing keeps growing, we're going to draw more in in West Palm than what he Milo is going to draw in Orlando. I don't know if uh, that made or might made of or uh, Milo a little bit uh, a little bit unhappy, but at the same time. Still running his town, and he's still doing well. It's not like his business has dropped off dramatically. It's just that we're in a new town and a new building, and we're hustling it, and and we're 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 be we're beating him on a lot of occasions. Uh, and I think they made some they made some other decisions there too. Uh, they I think what they did is they decided to to put me on top in West Palm and leave me in West Palm every week. Uh, they wanted to try to get me over and they wanted to see, I think, if I could do the same thing in West Palm that I had done in Fort Myers and that I'd done in Melbourne. And uh, that way they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't have to have a baby face to send down there to, to, to work on top. Uh, they could make me that baby face. And that uh, makes it easier for Milo to do better in Orlando. They've got a top baby face they can give to Milo rather than send him to West Palm. And when you're a booker, you have to take in all these things into consideration. Uh, and sometimes it's a, diff a difficult decision uh, as to how are you going to make this work. Uh, but they did a pretty good job of it, and everything uh, seemed to. Seemed to go well. How does being put in a position where not only you're promoting West Palm Beach, but also you're main eventing there or you're wrestling there in top matches regularly, how does that affect you? Well, it affects me in, in, in two ways. First, adversely, it affects me because you can't go and put out wrestling cards if you're on the card. If you're, if you're on the main event and you're walking into a business somewhere and you're asking them, can I leave this poster in your window and they look at you and they go, Hey, you're Ron Fuller. I mean, so it, it, what it does is it's going to bring me to finding a guy that's going to affect my life for many, many years in the future, quite by accident in a way. Uh, I'll get to him in just a second, but the, 
the good part of it is about how it affects me is it makes me now on top in a major city and I'm going to get to work against the top talent in the territory. Uh, that's where really I get the benefit out of it. Now I'm going to work with guys that are really cream, cream de la creme. I'm going to get the dusties and I'm going to get the big boys. I'm going to get these people that can really teach me. I can take it to the next level just simply by them saying, we're going to put you on top in West Palm and that's where you're going to be for good. So they're going to take care of me. It also gives me an opportunity, which is really important for a young guy to do these weekly interviews. Now I, I, I used to do it in Fort Fort Myers because they had a television station there, but it's a small market. I'm doing these interviews now, and I'm on top. I'm in a very, very precarious position here. Uh, If this don't draw, then it it maybe sets my career back. Uh, So I've got to learn how to do interviews and, and right away start to be really good at it. And at the same time, I've got the opportunity to work with these guys that I never could have worked with. And going back to the first part of this, I'm tying myself up. A lot of times I'm working all these days, uh, 45 days and 47 nights, uh, that type of schedule. I don't really have the time to do all the things that I need to do to make West Palm do well. And I have a guy comes to me one night uh, after the matches, and he, he's a really nice guy. And he says, you know, I, I'm a great fan, and I, I would love to get involved somehow in the business. I, I, I'll set up the ring, and I, I'll do whatever. I really liked him. I, I thought he was a hustler. And, uh, you know, he, I could tell that if I got him to do something for me, he would probably do a good job. So I – First, got him to put out cards for me because it it pulled me out of that situation where I'm delivering cards to people and I'm wrestling on the main event. That makes no sense. It makes us all look bad in my mind at this point. So I say, uh, and this guy, is uh, his last name is Mac Murray. I call him Mac. Everybody in the wrestling business calls him Mac. This guy has become... Uh, he wants to start out. I start him out slow. He puts out cards. He eventually starts to sell tickets for me in the little towns that I'm going to run. He sets up the ring. He and I take him to Tennessee. Uh, more, maybe more so. He takes me to Tennessee. It's a great story. We'll get to it down the line. But he's the guy that's responsible for me being able to start my first wrestling company. And he starts out as a guy who talks to me after a match in West Palm and I just start him out slowly. He turns out to be a, a lifetime friend still is. And, and just does a fantastic job. When I go to Tennessee, he goes and he stays there all the years that I'm there. And even beyond, he still lives there. And, uh, it's a, it's a, it was a great spot for me. It was a great thing to happen for me. It was a fabulous thing to happen for him. And later on, a few years down the line from where we're talking about right now, uh, he's going to be the guy that puts me uh, where I've always wanted to be. Well, that's a hell of a tease. And we'll see where that goes on a future episode of the Studcast. But before we wrap things up, a few listener questions, Ron. This first one is from Palmer Woodson. In Salt Lake City, Utah, between the booker and the owner, who decides when and how to add to the crew? <laughs> That's wonderful. That's just where we're at today. 
I mean, that's kind of fits in with what we're talking about here. Uh, you know, uh, that, that gosh, I got kind of got a bit, a little thought into this. Uh, when you, everybody, when you own a territory, you either book it yourself or you hire somebody. Uh, now there's all kinds of owners, just like there's all kinds of bookers. And some people uh, are very tight on their bookers. Uh, Jim Barnett, as an example, Jim Barnett wanted to talk to his booker every day. Jim Barnett wanted to bring you at the last minute when you've got ideas and you figure out where you, we want to go and what you want to do. And you think this is going to make money. And you got an owner that comes to you the night of the match and says, well, I want this to happen and that to happen. And that's not what you're planning. That's a horrible thing to deal with. It's very, very difficult. So in obviously in most cases, if it comes down to somebody making a decision about the future of their territory, it's going to be the owner and it's not going to be the booker. Uh, the booker, that's one of the biggest decisions you make as an owner of a territory is who's going to book for you because that guy has the ability to the booker mostly decides talent questions. He's, he's not in any manner or responsible at all for the business decisions of what the company's going to do. That's strictly an owner's field. Uh, but the booker's field, it should be, in my opinion, the talent, the angles, the, uh, the, where, you, where you're going for the next two months or three months, a great booker knows two months or three months out what's going to happen three months down the road with just about everybody in his crew. And, uh, you know, when you make those type of decisions and you're, and you're, you're really doing a great job when you're able to do that, that's pretty hard to do. But when you can do that and you're going to draw money for people, you're going to get yourself a job. Uh, guy, owners are going to look for you and they're going to, they're going to, they're going to give you the opportunity. It just depends on who the owner is. Uh, there are owners, um, uh, there were owners like Nick Goulas as an example, and Nick would hire bookers, and and I don't think Nick was very knowledgeable about some parts of the business. Certainly not about how to how to book, and he would he would probably leave his bookers alone. He would give them their head, so to speak. When you're riding a horse and you let him go, you know you don't pull him back or rein him in. That's what he would do with his booker. He'd say, "Go for it, yeah, whatever you want to do." Uh, but you got that other the other side of it, like I was talking about with Jim Barnett, and which is quite the opposite. Uh, Jim's going to call you in and say, "What are you planning on doing, my boy?" He'd give you that, you know. And uh, I don't want him over. You're not going to do that, you know. Uh, well, geez, that makes it very, very difficult to to be a booker. But I guess the answer here for this is uh, the I think it's going to be the booker maybe when it comes to deciding who's when you're going to add somebody to the crew. But in the case of this Florida situation that we've discussed in the program here where you've got these two towns on a Monday now, uh, I think the owners got to get involved some here. And uh, I think that's when you're, the owner and the booker put their heads together and they figure this out. And I think that's kind of what happened. Uh, the Louis Tillet and, and Leo Garibaldi are both booking at this time frame. 
they're very well respected by the boys, and they're also very well respected by the ownership, especially Leo. And so uh, I'm sure there was a lot of talk with Leo about what do you think? Uh, how are we going to do this? And I'm sure they all came to an agreement. Uh, probably, I, I, I think Leo would probably have agreed with uh, with the way thing everything went. And and they just it it started to bust out Florida. I mean, it kind of changed the atmosphere in the Florida territory. I had been there for six months. Uh, business was good, but it wasn't great. And all of a sudden. A new town. It's a new town, and and when they when guys go there, and that new town is almost full, and it's in a eight thousand seat building, you know they're they're like, wow, man, we're going somewhere. It in it's excites the entire crew, and it excites the business, and it just it it works to make money for the company with just adding that one town. It kind of put the Florida territory on a path that just steadily rose from 71 business increased in 72 it increased in 73 and in 74 it exploded when uh, dusty turned so it's it's all started a little bit i give some credit to the fact that they had this town of west palm and it just starts out gangbusters and it affects everything they do we have another question here from russell bell in dyer tennessee how did your grandfather, Roy Welch, have time to run a wrestling company and a dairy farm at the same time? Boy, that's a great question, too. Gosh, that's a... I, I, asked, I used to ask myself that. Uh, I saw how hard my grandfather worked. My grandfather was just a working animal, and he, he was on the road all the time. He spent never more than three days a week in Yorkville. That's where his dairy was, and that's where I used to go and visit my grandma and visit him when he was there. Uh, but the rest of the time, he was on the road, and, and he was running his wrestling company. And my granddad had the greatest asset I guess a man can ever have. He had a woman that had a head on her shoulders that worked just as hard as he did. And my grandmother took that dairy by the reins, and, I mean, she ran it like a man. I, I, I watched her have conversations with the seal test company that was buying the milk from them and just amazed at how how in control she was of meetings with big companies and big people uh and she they ran a dairy his dairy was monstrous at, at one time toward the end it had, they milked a thousand cows a day their milk their milk barn never shut down it ran 24 hours a day they milked constantly to milk a thousand cows every day and a dairy is a confining business a very difficult business to operate. You don't get time. You can't take vacations. Cows got to be milked every day. And uh, so you've got to have a great organization. And I think my grandmother was really the, the she was the, the foundation for the growth of that dairy more so than Roy was. Roy's time and commitment was building his wrestling company, which was at one point, 
covered 12 states and was a mega, mega wrestling territory, huge, bigger than probably anybody in the country at that point, or maybe ever, I don't know. But uh, Roy did a great job with the wrestling company. I think my grandma did a super job with the dairy. I guess that's, uh, that's what I would have to say. Well, with that, another episode of the Studcast has come to a close. Of course, we want to remind you, you can like Ron Fuller on Facebook, the page, Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud. You can follow the Stud on Instagram and Twitter at Ron Fuller Welch. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can hear me each week on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Of course, you can go to tnstud.com for the Studcast. Also, you can find videos, the Stud Store, recent reviews from fans, and much, much more, tnstud.com. And on the topic of the Super Studcast, you can go to either tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast only. Two ninety nine a month, so that's a great deal. You should definitely check that out. Ron, where are we going next week? Well, before we do it, I was going to pick a winner here, okay? So, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm going to, I thought, you know, last, I think you 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 caught it last time, so uh, I, I, I like the guys, the Salt Lake City question. I mean, uh, it, it fit really great with our episode today. Uh, I think the, the guy, uh, Palmer Woodson, I guess his name is, uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah, I think uh, that would be the winner for today. Uh, and as far as next week, boy, I'm gonna I'm gonna rock them a little bit here, uh, Brian. Uh, next week, I'm going to I'm going to introduce uh, my fans to Andre the Giant. I'm going to let them go through the first time I ever saw Andre, the first time Andre ever came to Florida. Uh, just give them a little bit of that. It'll be a long time before I'll talk Andre again. Uh, but uh, I'm going to want to do that next week. I want to introduce fans to my first experience with meeting Andre the Giant. And it's a, and, and, and if people want to hear the whole thing, I mean, obviously I have a super stud cast with Andre, but we're going to talk about the very first time Andre comes to Florida. Uh, and that'll take whole episode and heck could take more. I don't know, but it's really, I think fans will find it fascinating. Uh, uh, it was fascinating for me that night and 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 uh, and actually pretty scary at the same time. Ron Fuller's Studcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For the Tennessee Stud Ron Fuller, I'm the great Brian Last. The story continues next week. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.